So have you ever heard a song and it's brought back all these memories from years ago that you totally forgot about? I've heard a song and then all of a sudden I can not only remember it, but I can smell and taste what it was like at that time in the past. Music can be such a powerful tool to stimulate the brain and memories and emotions. But I've never really understood why, to be completely honest. But that's okay, because it turns out there's a bunch of people that have done a heap of research about using music as therapy. And how cool is that? And so today on the show, we're speaking with Nick Johnson, who not only knows a bit about this stuff, he's also making it more accessible, using technology to help more people take control of their mental and physical well-being, using music as a therapy. So let's take a listen. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Nick Johnson. He's a former professional DJ turned musicologist and the founder of Music Health. Nick has worked with music and technology for the past 20 years, and Nick and the team are on a mission to empower anyone to manage poor brain health through the use of personalized music as a therapy. Hey, Nick, how are you going? Hey, how are you doing? I'm really good. Excellent. Great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not a topic we've covered, and I'm really excited to take a deep dive into it and learn a bit more about music as a therapy. But firstly, I want to know a little bit more about you and your background, please. Well, that's always an interesting question, isn't it? But in my case, so you probably can tell by my accent, I'm not Aussie. I was born in Amsterdam many, many years ago, uh, but I actually grew up in Ibiza, small little island in the Mediterranean, part of Spain, for those that don't know. For those that do know, they'll probably know it as the party island with lots of nightclubs. So it's a pretty easy guess what my career was because of that. There weren't many career choices. Bartender or DJ? <laughs> Bartender or DJ or go-go dance. Yeah, right. <laughs> I took the safest option. And it was just something I, I'd been working in music or I'd been doing things in music as far as I can remember. I started classical music training when I was eight years old, uh, music theory, played instruments, and music was a big part of my life. But I realized at a very young age I had stage fright. I actually didn't like to be on a podium and be the center of attention. I liked to be behind the scenes, which was really hard to do when you were like a lead guitar in a band. Uh, and then for some crazy reason, I got attracted to DJing, which is standing on a podium by yourself, being observed by a bunch of strangers. But it's something that I got really passionate about very early. And at the age of 16, it became my career. And because I was where I was in Ibiza, I got exposure to the biggest DJs in the world. I got to play with the biggest DJs in the world. And I was a resident at one of the biggest, and I'd say at the time, one of the most famous clubs in the world. And it was a really crazy, wonderful experience. And, you know, that's a whole different podcast. It's a long story there. But because I started at such a young age, I got to see things, particularly around the power of music, that I was really fascinated about, but I didn't understand. I knew something great was happening, but I didn't know why. And by the time I was 19, 20, I had traveled extensively around the world as a DJ. I was very, very fortunate to be able to do that, particularly at that age. And wherever I went, the reaction was the same. There was this connection in music with everyone. Didn't matter the background, the religion, whatever. Everyone was having this great time together and there was a connection. So I actually, funnily enough, I discovered the word musicology from a Prince album oh, called yeah. Musicology. Yeah, yeah, 
right. And I thought a true prince form, that's just, of course, he just invented a word. And then when I looked up what it meant, I thought, wow, I had no idea this existed. So just for everyone listening, musicology is the formal explanation is the study of music as an academic subject. And it can be anything in music, but it's basically doing a deep dive into something and learning about it in detail. And being that I was a DJ, I was really interested in the history of genres and how they all emerged and were connected. But I was also really interested in the power of music. And sort of that led me down a path of understanding music taste, what defines your music taste, what are the things that are important, what are the things that are not important. And that all sort of became an obsession for 20 plus years. And that led me to want to start my first startup in 2014 around music technology. I don't have an engineering background, so there was a lot of reading. I remember when I started, I had to read what is an algorithm. And then I had to sort of do a deep dive into that, into data science and music information retrieval. But I am one of those people that if I'm interested in something, I get obsessed with it and I want to know everything. And yeah, that's led me to where we are today, music health. Wow, fascinating. And so I want to jump into a bit about the way that music is processed and a bit more of that kind of context and research and everything. But music health, just so so you've, Lanish, set the scene now. What is that? What's it about? It actually started as a side project while working on my other business. I was trying to come up with something that I could build for my parents. My grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's when I was very young. And at the time, we didn't even know that it was Alzheimer's. People just said, oh, this is a normal part of aging. It wasn't very well understood. And when I started studying musicology, I started learning about this and became more and more fascinated. And obviously then knowing about the importance of brain health, my parents live on the other side of the world, one in the Netherlands, one in Spain. And the last couple of years, I started seeing some changes in them, cognitive changes. So, you know, repeating themselves and doing things that in some cases are absolutely normal for when you're aging, but others could be signs of early cognitive decline. And so, you know, alarm bells went off, the guilty son living on the other side of the world. So I was like, what can I do? Because my parents have always been massive music fans. It's the reason I was able to pursue a career in music. They were always very supportive. And I started playing around with this idea of this technology that I had already been looking into and something that I knew I could build. And the premise was, how do I build a music experience that a bunch of 70-year-olds know how to use that's easy? because they just struggle with streaming services, too many buttons, everything else. And the second was, how do I create an experience that is also providing the benefits to their brain, so the right type of stimulation? And that was the, the seed idea of music health. And this was late 2019. And then 2020 hit, it was COVID. And I took a step back and thought, wow, this is, I mean, I'm going to do this for my parents regardless, but actually I think there's a much bigger opportunity here to help other people. And considering the impact that COVID had on people around isolation and depression and, and all this stuff that's all to do with brain health, I thought it's really important for us to embrace things like music as a therapy to maintain good brain health. So I pitched this to my co-founder and I said, hey, I think this is something that has legs. I think it's an important mission. It's something I'm very passionate about. And I think we should turn this into a business. And this is how I see this evolving. So music health, in essence, is we build wellness tools that use music to empower anyone to manage their own brain health. And without sounding too mystic around that, the idea is simple. We all have a brain. Our brain is incredibly complex. And there's a lot of things you can do to maintain a healthy, active brain. 
Now, we are all used to this with physical exercise. We know we have to do a run or a couple of push-ups, and we need to eat healthy, and we need to sleep because that's good for us. The same is true for the brain. We need to keep it stimulated and activated so that the neurons and the pathways between the brain, I always say it this way, stay well lubricated so they connect with each other properly, right? And we're starting with dementia because, as I mentioned, that's something that I personally care about deeply. But more importantly, the way the population is shifting now, we have more people over the age of 65 than we do under the age of five. Age care is already stretched pretty thin, and that's only going to increase for the foreseeable future. And dementia is on the rise as well. And so I feel it is extremely important to come up with many different solutions that are good for maintaining a healthier lifestyle, and more importantly, to keep our aging population independent for as long as possible. Mm. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to go into it a little bit more, you know, using music to stimulate the brain, like how does that actually work? Tell us about how it's processed in the brain and how it actually, you know, lubricates those, those neurons, as you say. Yeah, for sure. So simply put, whenever our hearing, our auditory system picks up sound, any sound, and it's processed in the brain, it does a bunch of wonderful things. Every sound that we process is managed by a different area of the brain. So for example, speech is one, and then language. So there's a part of your brain that is deciding what language is this person speaking in. And then there's the other one that is figuring out the tone of voice, for example, right? And for every category of sound that the brain processes, there's a different area of the brain responsible for that, right? There's good sound and there's bad sound, but uniquely with music, and this is why it's so wonderful, it's the only sound we process and the only stimulant that we know of that actually activates all these different areas at the same time. And they have to be activated and talk to each other to make sense of what they're hearing. So listening to music is like a proper brain workout, but we don't notice it because it's fun and it's pleasurable and it it's so native to us. Our brain's been doing this for, you know, forever. We're very good at it, but it is still a workout. It's a CPU overload almost, particularly if you start experimenting with which types of music, but we'll get to that in a bit. So it's a proper brain workout and neuroscientists haven't found anything else that is an equivalent. So as you can imagine, it's powerful for all of us, but it's particularly powerful for somebody where parts of the brain are are working less optimally than other parts of the brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I think about it too. I, I hear a song from being like at a different point in my life and it can take you there straight away. I can't think of anything else that does that so powerfully and like with all of your senses as well. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, we have this with smell as well, but not to the same extent. And whenever I talk about this with people, I, you know, a lot of people have heard of memory palaces and it's the ability to retain a lot of information by turning it into images in your head and creating a story. Your brain does that automatically with music. It's imprinted in your brain. And if a memory is attached to that, And like you said, you hear that song and that reminds you of, in my case, if I listen to slow R&B, it immediately transports me back to high school in Amsterdam and the school dances because it was always hip hop and slow R&B. I can even name the songs that were played every time, right? And there's other moments that, you know, I hear Aretha Franklin, doesn't matter which song, reminds me of my mother, hands down, because she always had Aretha Franklin playing at home in the kitchen. And, and There's loads of songs that we have like that. The problem is we tend to forget what those songs are until we hear them. But the brain doesn't forget. We just have to retrieve it, right? And the reason that works 
is twofold. So one, generally speaking, our music taste is formed in our early years of life. So childhood and teenage years. The main reason for that is that is when we have a lot of our first time life experiences. So the first time you fell in love, if there was a song attached to that moment, guaranteed, whenever you hear that song, you'll think of that moment. And yeah, that just stays in the brain forever. So you're able to retrieve that very quickly. Look, I can talk about this for days. I won't today, but it's just a super fascinating thing that the brain does. And we now know from lots of research that the ability to process music has been around as long, if not longer, than our ability to process speech and language. And that has everything to do with fight or flight. Yeah, got you, got you. And so I like, I'm like loving this. And I think about myself. I guess I, I kind of do this already, though, don't I, by putting together a playlist on Spotify. So, you know, you, you're like, bridge that gap. You, you kind of touched on it earlier, but bridge that gap for me, putting a piece of technology around it. Like, don't we have the technology already to do this kind of stuff? Yeah, every able-bodied person like you and I, if we know what we like, we're able to do a lot by creating our own playlist, right? We can put songs in there. There'll be recommendations. And from time to time, one of them will pop up. You go, wow, I didn't think of that one. And it's great. But if we look at the audience that we're targeting with Vera, and I know this from conversations with my family, with my parents, you know, you ask them, what are the songs from your childhood that you love? And it's actually really hard for them to think about it because most of the time, a lot of the songs they haven't heard of in many years. And the best way to look at it is this way. Like you and I will probably have some pretty good assumptions about what our parents' music taste is, but we actually don't know what they listened to when they were 14, 15 years old, because we weren't around. And even if we asked them, hey, what were you listening to when you were 14, 15? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. That's, that's a really tricky one. I'm going to have to look that up. And so it becomes an issue of discovery. It also has to do with your background, right? So your music taste is actually as complex as your DNA. And that has everything to do with your life experiences, as I mentioned before. So imagine this scenario, right? We have on the one end, we have a lady called Priya. And Priya grew up in India for the first 20 years of her life. And then she moved to Australia, raised a family, and is living here, so got grandchildren, etc. Her life experiences are very, very different to John, who grew up in the eastern suburbs in Bondi. Lived here his whole life, had that lifestyle, whatever. So by default, their music taste is very, very different, and their music memory is very different. And what we're doing with Vera is essentially acting like a detective and trying to profile their cultural and linguistic background to be able to find the songs that were important and relevant to them in those early years, from birth to late teenage years. And we're able to combine that then, and this is part of our technology, with songs that we just know help you relax or help stimulate your brain or help energize you. And so we create this sequence of songs that are, some of them are, for example, a little bit more complex that you might not choose to listen to yourself, but that we know are really good for the neurons in the brain, for brain plasticity and, and all this other stuff. Then there's other songs that we just know inherently make people feel more calm. This is universal for all humans. But then we combine that with those songs from your early years and your cultural background. And that's where we get this melting pot of a playlist or a radio station that is entirely unique to that individual. And that's something we're very proud of that we're doing. That's the point of difference between us and anything else that's out there. We focus specifically on that. And we make sure that this is something that can be used in the moments that an elderly person is alone. And we're focused on dementia, obviously. So we actually see this as a tool that is integrated in the day-to-day -day routine between the carer and the person living with dementia. 
And so you mentioned, so Vera is the product, the technology there, the tool that people use to have these curated stations or playlists to be able to hear these songs that are meaningful to them and, and impactful. How does it work? Do, is it like a bunch of questions that you answer or is it your demographics in and then it spits out some songs? I'm sure there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, there's a few more layers, but in essence, yes, that's it. So there is an onboarding and we asked some important questions around your cultural linguistic background. That's one thing. We have another bit of technology that is able to analyze the raw audio of songs. And what we do there is we actually define the vibe of songs. And that has everything to do with the way the brain processes music, right? We've mimicked that in our technology. So we can very quickly discover what your music taste is and which musical attributes in a song. Uh, so that's part number two. And then number three, we've created our own internal popularity metric for songs all around the world based on geolocation, based on year or era, and a bunch of other things. And bear in mind, we're using music from early 1900s. So 1915, I think, is the first recording we have in our library. There were no charts or internet that was not until much later. So we created our own popularity system, taking all of these different data points into account so that we can pinpoint, for example, using Priya as an example again, what were the songs that were popular in Kerala when she was 15 versus what were the songs that were popular when she was 25 and living in Australia? And we're able to identify these and then put them all together. And so, you know, you're operating in this space that is relating to both healthcare and aged care. So I'm thinking both carers would need to be across what Vera does, but we're also talking about music as a therapy. So clinicians would also need to be aware of what's going on here too. Is this something that clinicians would prescribe or recommend to patients in certain circumstances? Yeah, they absolutely could. So we actually... Our product suite is Vera is the, you can think of it as the consumer product. So that's for the family at home, the primary care and the person living with dementia. Then our second one is Vera Pro. And that is the management tool for facilities and professional carers and music therapists. So if they are managing multiple people at a time, they can use the same tools as Vera and then switch between profiles as they need. So you can imagine a carer in an aged care home starting her daily rounds and she walks in with the tablet and goes, today I'm starting in room one with John. Hey, John, I'm going to put your profile on, play the music, and we're going to get you dressed for the day. They do their routine, they have their moment, and then she moves on to the next room. She goes, oh, Mary, switches profile, plays the music, and then has her 20 minutes or 30 minutes with Mary as part of her rounds. But it also means that when there is something that is happening, because bear in mind with dementia, you know, what you're often fighting is the symptoms of VPSD, so the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, like agitation, confusion, brain fog, all of that stuff. So again, that can be used as a tool to come in if somebody is feeling agitated for whatever reason. Hey, let's use some music. Let's go through this moment together and make that experience easier for all parties involved. I know very vividly with my grandma when she was in a brain fog, you know, she'd have a professional carrier there and the family would be there and be like, okay, now it's time for you to have a shower and then get ready for bed. And she wouldn't know who anyone was in the room. So she'd freak out. Like, what do you mean you're going to, you know, this is a very scary experience. So we'd play music and 10 minutes later, she'd be singing along and she'd be like looking at the family and going, hey, you're here. That's so great. How wonderful. And we have this moment. And then it's, oh, hey, by the way, grandma, we should 
probably get you in the shower now, get you ready for bed and be like, oh yeah, great, cool, let's do it. So it just changed that whole dynamic, right? And in aged care, obviously this is happening often and it's it can be very stressful for carers, which is completely understandable. So we're saying now they have this tool to use while they're doing this, and this is Vera Pro. And what comes with that for the facilities and the music therapists and the clinicians, as you mentioned, is a dashboard with insights. So we can actually track all of this information and show how an individual is tracking over time with their heart rate, with everything else. And I think that's where it becomes really interesting for facilities to be able to measure the outcome and the impact of certain things, interventions in an aged care setting. Yeah, that's going to become increasingly important as well, I imagine, with the Aged Care Royal Commission that occurred and the need for facilities to adopt more technology and also be able to track some of this progress as well. So it's going to be a, I expect a bit of a wild ride moving forward for you guys with some adoption, I hope. Yeah, no, the conversations we've had so far with a handful of facilities have been really positive around the management tool. Like they really see the benefit of that. And it's all about is it easy enough for our carers to adopt and make it part of their routine? You know, that's obviously where we really need to nail it. But I feel that we're on the right track with that. And we're actually launching it in beta at the start of the new year with a couple of partners to make sure that we're getting it right, that we're addressing their needs. You know, we can only make a certain amount of assumptions before we need to have it validated by the experts who are there day to day. But we're having this conversation with them now, and it's really positive. And to your point, like for me, one of the biggest things out of the commission is also the transparency. You know, if I have my mom in a home, how do I track how she's going unless I physically go there. Because if I would just call up, that would be quite tricky. Like there's not one person taking care of her who's monitoring it and everything else. So now they have this dashboard of information that they can then also share to the individual family members and go, hey, there was this episode on this day, uh, but we did this. This was really good. This is how Mary has been progressing for the last three weeks. By the way, this is some of the music that she loves. When you come in and visit her, we recommend you play these songs with her while you're there. And it creates this sort of connection between all parties involved around better care, right? And I think that's really the beautiful part of all of this. Love it. And then so, you know, New Year 2022, you mentioned, you know, going into to beta and getting into sites and getting that real world feedback. What's the road look like ahead for you guys this year and beyond? Well, we have a few things on, <laughs> as is true with most startups, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So 2022 is uh, a big year for us. The first thing is we're launching our native apps. Vera at the moment is a web app. We did that to facilitate research very early on. We did a bunch of research, Um, but now the native apps will be launched in the new year. And then the other big thing that we will announce sort of at the end of quarter one of 2022 is a large scale clinical research project that we're doing in the UK. And it's gonna be international, details to follow, but we are calling it the largest music as a therapy study ever done. And the big thing for us there is that we now have the technology to implement and measure music as a therapy at scale. We can collect all of this data and we can create this data set for researchers that can be incredibly valuable. Uh, But more importantly, we can also finally measure the outcomes of long-term music as a therapy intervention, which I'm particularly very excited about because we know that it improves quality of life for both the carer and the individual. We know that it can help with the impact of BPSD, as I mentioned before. 
And we know that if there is a better lifestyle, better quality of life for all involved, that inherently reduces the cost of care as well in in a bunch of different areas. And so the study is all about measuring that long term. And as I said, not too many details yet. We'll be announcing that in the new year, but that's going to be with a big research organization. And and I'm super excited about it because it's just not been done before at this scale. And we get to lead the way with Vera, which is super cool. And then- Very cool. From a startup point of view, we're also heading to the U.S. now that we can travel again. My co-founder and I are heading out there in February, and we're doing our typical tour, raising some more money, and also meeting with some big partners that we've started to talk to over the last couple of months. So yeah, it's going to be busy, but super exciting. Amazing. And for those that want to check out more uh, about music health, I know particularly in the Talking Health Tech community, we've got a few individuals who are musicians and aspiring musicians, but also anyone relevant to anyone that might be interested in finding out more about music as a therapy. Are there any resources? I assume your website would be a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So veramusic.com. And we have a couple of white papers on there and also a bunch of articles that we've written about this space. Uh, But then also they can always hit me up if they want. I love collaboration. I think it's super important for startups, but just companies in general. So dare I even do this, but my email, nicc at musichealth.ai. If you're interested in this space, feel free to hit me up. Love to chat. Love it. We'll put some links and some details in the show notes of this episode for people to get in touch or consume some of that information that's available on your website about this really fascinating space. Nick, look, I really wish you all the best for 2022 and beyond. It sounds like an exciting time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you kindly. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.